0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. We've got Dr. Sonia Bellani here today, and I'm so excited for everybody to get to hear about her background and the way she practices and what she focuses on. So she is known on Instagram as the Pelvic Pain Doc. And I started following her, gosh, about a year ago, and I was just totally fascinated at seeing this physician who's talking about all of these things that women want to talk about and desperately need to talk about. But frankly, it's just, we feel it's like it's embarrassing and it shouldn't be because we're all dealing with probably at least one issue that she specializes in. So I'm just beyond thrilled that she's here. We're on the phone because she lives in Manhattan and I'm obviously in Charleston. But (laughs) um, thank you for taking the time out of your extremely busy day with kids and family and all this work and craziness to, to be on.
1: Thank you for having me, and thanks for that kind introduction. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean it. I mean it. Everything that you talk about, it's like everything that we women need to hear. So just tell everybody kind of what your training and background is so that they understand a little better what you do.
1: Sure, yeah. So so initially I did my residency in OBGYN, actually, in Manhattan at Cornell. And when I finished it, I was like, just there was so many parts of women's health that were missing. And I saw a lot of patients that were kind of tossed around from doctor to doctor, like urologist to gynecologist, and they couldn't find out what was figuring what was going on. And it all had to do with their blood or their pelvic floor, their vagina. So when I got finished with my residency, I decided to pursue a fellowship actually in the department of urology, which is super non-traditional, right? But, um, the doctor that I did it with Rob Moldman was actually a pioneer in the field of pelvic pain and interstitial cystitis. And he was totally on board with the idea of this, like more of this patient centered as opposed to problem centered approach, just really looking at the entire patient, not just a a system. So he's like, yes, come on. Like you can teach me the GYN part of this. I'll teach you the urology part of it. And it was an awesome fellowship. That's amazing that he was so
0: open to it.
1: Yeah, he was. And and when I finished, he was like, you know, I think we work so well together. I'd love to have you stay on as my partner. So I actually was in the Department of Urology as a gynecologist for eight years of my life. And it was amazing. And it was really where I think I got to hone all my surgical skills and really understand pelvic pain and the nuances of the pelvis from kind of both specialties. And I think that's really what makes this such an interesting field because people don't look at it like that. Like when you have a symptom, like when you have urgency and frequency, you're sent directly to a urologist, but you know what? The problem might be because it stemmed from your vagina or your pelvic floor, and then you're tossed back to the gynecologist. So we think having a doctor that can provide you with all that care in one place without feeling like everything's so disjointed is just in the best interest of both patients
0: and clinicians. So are there other, are you the, are you it with that training? I mean, does anybody else have this kind of training? Um, You know, there's definitely sexual
1: health fellowships um, where gynecologists will do a fellowship in sexual health. Again, a very small niche. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, most people don't really do it in the department of urology. They might do urogynecology, um, but they don't necessarily go on to stay within a different department. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure people can definitely repeat this. It's not like there's only one way to do it. It's just a different way to do it.
0: Yeah. But how long was the urology fellowship? It was a year, yeah, a year. and then okay. I
1: stayed, yeah, it was just a year, and then I stayed on for eight years, and then I went off now, and I started my own private practice in Midtown Manhattan, so that has been another year, so it's crazy, it's been nine years, I feel so old.
0: <laughs> well, nobody's getting any younger, but at least you don't look old, you look 12 in the best way, <laughs> you really do. I was telling I my husband you. who I was interviewing, <laughs> interviewing today, and I was like, oh, my God, she's so cute, and she does this most interesting medicine, but she's just, like, so cute. I can't help it. I was like, I love her. Um, okay, so what is the most... I know we're going to talk about a few things, so just to tell everybody. Also, if your children are listening, or if you... It, this is not... I mean, I wouldn't say explicit, but, like, we're going to talk about sexual health and things that you may... We're probably going to say vagina a lot, so if you don't want your children... <laughs> to hear that, which is normal anatomy, but still I get it. So you may want to turn it down or listen later. Um, so (laughs) Earmuffs. (laughs) earmuffs, kids, what would you say is the main thing that you see?
1: So I see a lot of patients who come in with kind of a plethora of symptoms. So one of the most common symptoms that I get is that, you know what, doc, I think I have a UTI. I think I've had a UTI for the last six months, but my cultures keep coming back negative. And, And doctors are putting me on antibiotics, but it's really not making me feel better. And I've noticed now that these symptoms have started that I have more pain when I sit for long periods of time, that I'm noticing pain with sex, that I feel like I'm not emptying my bladder. I don't know what's going on, you know? And that's typically the, the type of patient that I'll get into my office where it starts with one thing, it kind of morphs into another, and then they're like, what the heck is going on? It's kind my of body? vague. Where yeah. am I? Yeah. Mm. And, what I find the most interesting part about this is the fact that number one, Patients are so smart. So so they come into my office and they'll say to me, and I've been on rounds of antibiotics and they're not making me feel better. And I know I don't have a UTI. Right. And right, right. then they see all these clinicians who just keep putting them on antibiotics. Like, that's my first rule with every patient. Listen to your body. You likely know best. And that's it's really like because it's one of those things where no one can really explain why it's happening. And so they start to be, think that they're so they're, they're going crazy. They're like, why am I going from doctor to doctor? Is there something wrong with me that I'm missing? Right. Um, Generally, you know, when that happens, it can be a, like there's multiple things that can cause this. One of which is the entity known as interstitial cystitis or bladder pain syndrome. Generally, all of these things that I'm going to talk about today don't occur alone. They occur in conjunction with each other. So they're like best friends that hang out.
0: Why is so that? Just example- because they're next to each other? Or- so it's... It, It's almost like
1: what came first, the chicken or the egg. So I'll give you an example. So if someone comes in with this feeling of, I think I have a UTI, it kind of hurts every single time I pee. What do you think their reflex response is going to be?
0: It's going to be to contract, right? right? I'm never going to pee again. If you've had a UTI, you're like terrified to pee.
1: Exactly. So now you tighten. So now think about what happens now that you're tightening more. The bladder is contracting. Your pelvic floor is not relaxing like it should to completely empty the bladder. So now you get frequency, right? You're not completely emptying. You got to go to the bathroom again and again. So now you have this discomfort when you pee. You're going to the bathroom all the time. You feel like you're not completely emptying. So it's occurring together. Um, so, so there's a multitude of reasons that it occurs together. But more often than not, we almost think that some of these things are just reflex responses to it to mm. each other. And then another kind of reason that we believe it occurs together is because a lot of these things have to do with the nerves and the muscles within that area. So we always talk about nerves and muscles in our back and our spine in our hips. But every single time we get to the pelvic floor, it's like no one's ever heard of this. Everyone's like, what? There's nerves and muscles in your pelvic floor and they can act like nerves and muscles in other places right. and spasms. Right. Exactly. And yes, so, so yes, they absolutely do. And so there can be something called central sensitization or neuropathic upregulation. So these nerves are now firing at a higher rate than they're firing in other parts of the body. So, you know, when that bladder's filling up, you're almost more sensitive to it. Oh,
0: now, it's, so it's, more, kind of, it's
1: painful. So it's painful. So that's another kind of concept that we use in describing these things. And then another factor that we always have to think about. And so, so remember, we don't know exactly what causes all of this and that's what makes it so frustrating, but we believe that part of it is neuropathic or neuromuscular. Part of it is inflammatory. There's Mm. some sort of inflammation in the area that actually either causes these muscles to tighten or causes what's called the degradation of the gag layer in the bladder, which, you know, not to sound too super fancy or, or over anyone's head, but it's like this, Protective coating of the bladder. So if you poke holes in that that layer, it's going to be more uncomfortable when your bladder fills up. You can think of it like the leaky gut of the bladder, so to speak. Oh yeah. Okay. So so there's so many different kind of reasons for all of this, but w- like as as someone who treats it, in the back of my mind, I'm always trying to think of the root cause. So these things are always kind of floating around like tabs in my brain.
0: Mm-hmm. So you feel like. And is the treatment kind of the same for everybody? Because my question is like, does it matter as much what the root cause is, or you're and you're going to go down the same treatment pathway anyway? Or does that so, make sense? You know what I mean? Yes. No, I, I totally
1: hear what you're saying. So you're saying, can does it matter if you treat the bladder first or the pelvic floor first? Like, does it really matter, or do you, can you start from anywhere? Kind of a thing. Because yeah. I'm telling
0: you, I don't know what causes it. Yeah. If what so, if we don't know which what what came first.
1: Right. So yes, it absolutely matters. And I'll tell you why. So, so I'm going to go back to that example where we talked about kind of the bladder and the pelvic floor, and I hope I can say it so that everyone's able to visualize it. And if not, let me know and I can restate it and maybe make it sound a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe but,
0: tell, okay. I feel like people don't even know what the pelvic floor is, right? So okay. just quickly explain. So we all know what our, what our bladder is and generally where it is, but, 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 right. I don't think women, especially if you haven't had a baby, I don't think you know what the pelvic floor is.
1: That's a great point. So the pelvic floor is all the muscles that basically range from your lower abdomen down to almost your perineum and your rectum. Okay. And these your muscles butt, and they can, your, a, butt yeah, your butt, your butt, and it can actually attach in your back too. So okay. in the back of your back. So think of it like a girdle, like a complete girdle surrounding your lady parts. Now that girdle can, that that's muscles, that's nerves. That's like muscles anywhere else in your body. So just like when you stand for long periods of time or you're cooking for a long period of time and you can get a knot in your neck and you can feel it there and you can say, man, I need to go get a massage. Someone needs to get this knot out. You can have the same exact thing happen in your pelvic floor in terms of like the words that we use. So, so we call this the levator complex and it's composed of multiple different muscles and, It's called the pubococcygeus, the puborectalis, the ischiocavernosis. And, you know, we could go down and break down all the muscles of the pelvic floor. But for what we're describing right now, the most important part for anybody is to understand that you have a set of muscles in this area. They're absolutely related to bowel function. They're related to bladder function. And they're related to sex. So these muscles really control everything and they're a huge game changer for people once they even just acknowledge that they're there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we even realize that this is so important. I mean, even before I had children, I, had, um, I ran a half marathon, which was stupid. I was not... Adequately (laughs) trained. Anyway, I had like crazy sacroiliac joint pain after that, Mm -hmm, which is kind of in your hip, I guess, kind of behind your hip. And the the therapy for that is pelvic floor physical therapy. And when I I heard that, I was like, this is nonsense, but it's true. I mean, so when I did this PT, my pain got so much better. And And this was before I had kids. So it had nothing, I mean, Right. all your muscles I get jacked up. I love that with... you
1: brought that up. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. So so understanding how the these muscles kind of innervate in the lower abdomen, the hip and the back, because it's all related, right? And right. that SI joint is a huge, if that's imbalanced, you're going to contract different parts of your pelvic floor to try to balance. And that's going to cause a whole host of issues. And mm-hmm. the second point that I want to just like highlight because I think it's so important is the fact that you said, I had this before I had kids. A majority of my patients are are young. They're in their 20s or 30s. They haven't had children. Mm-hmm. So, so this is not just a problem for older people or people who've had kids. This is like universal across the board. It's just so like not talked about that right. people don't even realize that it could be an issue until we do things like run a half marathon or... For some patients who are, like I see a lot of CrossFitters, so when you're um, doing a bunch of heavy lifting, and even though you're doing it with specific forms and a specific exercise, you can cause changes in these pelvic floor muscles, and ultimately that can lead to urinary and vaginal symptoms. So you have to understand how that's all related, because changing that is a lot of lifestyle modifications. It doesn't mean you have to stop doing what you're doing, but you have to look at the body as a whole, not just in that area.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, it's fa- it really is fascinating, and I just think we don't talk about it really at all. Um, no, it's, and that's why I, mean, I love
1: doing things like this because it's like even if there's one person that listens to this and they're like, "Oh my god, that's neat!" Like that's change, great change their because, life
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: it's because it's huge and it needs to be talked about so much more.
0: Um, do men have pelvic floors? They do. Lindsay and I were just debating that. I was like, I think so, but it's probably a little different. Yes, men have
1: pelvic floor. So in men, this entity is called a completely different thing because in science, we love to confuse people and that's Mm, just mm -hmm, what we are. mm -hmm. Um, But in men, these muscles, they control the prostate. They control ejaculation. They they control urinary symptoms, so frequency and urgency. And they control a lot of rectal symptoms and they do that in women as well. So things like constipation
0: can worsen. There can be sometimes pain Mm. with pooping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but see, why it's don't, amazing. I feel like men don't have this, these same problem, or maybe they just talk about it even less. Like you never hear yeah. pelvic floor or anything for men.
1: So, so in men it's called chronic prostatitis because they don't, so, so, so that's huh. oftentimes a um, just the change in nomenclature, but it's the same thing. It's And so in men, it's called category 3D CP, CPPS, or chronic prostatitis, chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Okay, no one but needs to remember really that, is. just
0: in case you're taking
1: notes. <laughs> so that was a <laughs> lot
0: of letters all at once.
1: <laughs> but, you know, for guys, they see urologists and... Often urologists don't even talk about the pelvic floor, but they should, but guys get pelvic floor PT as well. It's, you know, do you guys, see men ever?
0: Or do you, are you only women? I do.
1: Yeah, oh, I do because of so the fact that I worked in urology for so long and that's right. because there's so few people who do this. So yes, I absolutely see men as well, but you have to understand at the end of the day, the anatomy, while there's slight changes, is actually Pretty much the same, mm-hmm. um, you know. Aside from the fact that they, if I have them put in a suppository like a muscle relaxant suppository, there's only one hole that's going to go in because obviously right. men just have a rectum. Right. But, um, but even when they do pelvic floor PT, I mean, they work in the same areas. Symptoms can be very similar. They can have pain with ejaculation. I know. I mean, this oh, is all gosh. stuff that nobody talks about, but no. it's there and it's. It's so if you're bed, listening
0: you? and your man friend is having any of those, and yep. then you would say maybe start with the urologist, but for sure address for sure the, their pelvic floor. Wow, hmm. tell you yeah. what, <laughs> learning we're learning so much together today, gals. Um, this is fascinating. So let's talk about painful sex. Yeah, because you know let's I love it. there's this quote that I read in one of your an article you had posted somewhere that you said, and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was basically like, if you, so painful sex is not normal and you need to find a provider who takes you seriously. And I was like, you know what? So I don't know how many people need to hear that, but that, I mean, how many women or men are, are going through that and just thinking, well, I mean, this is just my anatomy or there's nothing I can do about it. And maybe they've exhausted their options at home, like you said, and they've seen a urologist or a gynecologist and they're just, at the end of the rope. I mean, that has to be so frustrating.
1: It's so frustrating. I mean, I think that's part of the problem too, is like I have patients that walk into my office and they're like, and I always ask because in order for me to treat them, I have to know. So, so did you have pain the first time that you had sex or was, the first time you had sex pain-free and then now you have a new partner because all of these things change how I'm going to treat them, right? right? And I've had so many women walk into my office and say, oh, yeah, I mean, it was excruciating pain the first time that I had sex. But that's just normal, right? And you're like, what? no, that, that it doesn't have to be normal. It shouldn't be normal. Like, oh, well, I was just always thought because we don't talk about sex because everyone is like, ooh, don't say that word that that women just come come up and think that that's just normal. They should have pain with the first time they have sex because that's mm. the way that it is. And it's not. And the problem is if we allow that to continue, it builds patterns within the pelvic floor and the vagina and the nerves that actually can cause painful sex to get worse worse to last longer to become harder to treat. So yeah, like you like women have this this I want them to know like there's so many treatment options and when it hurts that doesn't have to be your normal. That should not be. Like there are so many things we can do. What's usually causing it? So it's it's usually a combination I said like I said before of a couple of things. One We'll go back to the pelvic floor just because we talked so much about it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But um, hypertonic pelvic floors can cause painful sex. Because if you think of, so the, like, not, like we talked about pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh So if there's knots within these pelvic floor muscles and there's penetration and it's hitting these knots, it's going to cause pain. So generally, people who have pain with deep penetration, So if they have pain with certain positions, Mm -hmm. that can be a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor dysfunction can be a cause of what we call deep dyspareunia or pain with um, sex at a deeper level. And then there's oftentimes patients who have pain with initial penetration. So even when you just insert the beginning of, of, penetrative intercourse can be painful. And this can often be due to, it can also be due to the pelvic floor, but can also be due to something known as vulvodynia or vestibulodynia, where the nerves within the vagina are actually just flaring and they're actually causing pain with initial penetration. It can also be caused due to like vulvar dermatosis. So there could be something going on within the vagina. So there's really no protocol for this. Do you know what I mean? So these are almost the hardest questions to answer because it's like, so what can cause that? Oh, there's a A million things things that can
0: cause, you know what I mean? It's fascinating to hear you say all of this terminology too, because I'm like, oh, we say that wrong. Okay. All right. We're saying that wrong and we're definitely not (laughs) pronouncing that correctly. Okay, great. (laughs) So.
1: Words like this, I know that everyone pronounces a little bit different tomato, <laughs> tomato. Still,
0: but, but it's so interesting to hear these all. I mean, they're just flowing out of your mouth because you say it all day, every day. Whereas other medical <laughs> professionals are like, it. uh, <laughs> it's like almost like you don't even want to say it because you know you're saying it wrong and you haven't said it in five years. So, there are
1: again different causes of vulvodynia, too. It could be inflammatory, neuroproliferative, hormonal. So, you know, you're taking these these topics and then you break them down into subtopics because, and that's really how the nuanced approach helps people get better because when you actually are able to find that tiny root cause, it's like life changing because you're able to get a whole, you're able to treat a whole host of issues by really figuring out what the bottom line is.
0: If they have that nerve issue, what, like, what would you do for that? I mean, do they, you get them on like a gabapentin or something or, or is that a go back to pelvic floor physical therapy? So
1: I would probably so so probably both. I'd probably do a combination of sorts. So generally, when patients have what's called um, vestibulodynia or vulvodynia, or what we call a neuroproliferative vestibulodynia, meaning that the nerves are just firing more in that area. So the small fiber nerves within the vulva and the vestibule of the vagina are firing more we can, the first question that you want to ask is that, is this happening all the time? Is it generalized or is it provoked? Does it happen only during penetrative intercourse or Mm -hmm. only when you're wearing tight underwear? Mm -hmm. Because the treatment strategy is really going to vary depending on that. Um, So, so some people for what's called generalized vestibulodynia, people will place patients on things like oral amitriptyline or gabapentin
0: which are nerve think, medicines if it, like that's what we medication. typically treat nerve pain with
1: Correct. But remember, the doses are way different. So so amitriptyline actually falls into the category of a cyclic like, antidepressant, but we don't use it in antidepressant doses. So, you know, we're not using 150 milligrams. We're using somewhere between 10 to 25 milligrams mm-hmm. just to downregulate those nerves. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you're saying that these medications are, as we're saying, interacting with the nerves, they can have systemic side effects to them, right? So right. they can make patients drowsy, constipated, lethargic and mood changes and then ultimately they're not tolerable so that's one approach but it's definitely not the only approach or the first line approach which I hear a lot of people say and I hate that word because there's no first line approach
0: do you know what I mean it yeah, really is. different face. for everybody it sounds like it's exactly. so different so and how then, long do your uh, consults take like an hour and a half I mean it sounds like yeah, you could just talk it, to somebody forever to try to figure out what's going on with them
1: for sure. Yeah. They take about an hour to an hour and a half, but I think that's exactly why we're able to get to the bottom of things because, you know, we're peeling that onion, we're dissecting out each of their symptoms to figure out what the And and there's one thing about root cause, but then there's another thing to think about, which is what's the primary driver. Meaning, so your root cause can be neuroproliferative vestibulodynia with pelvic floor dysfunction. But at the moment, your primary driver is the pelvic floor dysfunction. So that's what Mm. I'm going to treat first. Mm. Because if you treat both at the same time, you don't know what's working, right? You just have too many variables in the air. So, um, you know, that systematic approach is there. And then just kind of to tailor back just like just for a moment, because we had talked about the provoked vestibulodynia where it's where something provokes that symptom. You can also use topical medications like topical amitriptyline or topical gabapentin to the area. That's often very helpful. So just kind of throw that out there. Like a lot of people have never heard of that. Yeah, which would be like
0: a compounded cream or ointment or something that you would put on. Like, okay, I know I'm... Which is probably isn't super sexy, but it's also probably a lot sexier than painful sex. Like, I know I'm going to, you know, get busy tonight. I'm going to put on my cream and move on.
1: Exactly. hmm. And remember there's downstream effects to this, right? Because painful sex, if you're having pain with initial penetration and then, and then what's your reflex response again to contract up. So now you're having pain with certain positions and deep penetration, you're decreasing blood flow to the area and to the clitoris. And then patients can have Problems orgasming. So yeah. now we have a whole downstream effect that started from this one thing that was never treated. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So, and you know, again, this is a topic that people shy away from, but we can't shy away from it because it's exactly what's causing it to become so prevalent and for patients to be so misguided in treatments.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, I'm sure, I, I know that there will be people listening that are just absolutely blown away by this conversation. So this, we, I'm glad that we're talking about it. Um, yeah. People also ask a lot about um, incontinence, which is super fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but also happens to people who have never had kids. It obviously gets worse with most people when they have kids. And I, I think we're just kind of in this place where we think I had kids and now I just pee my pants all the time.
1: So
0: (laughs) let's see, we're laughing. We've both she has three kids, I have two. Oh wow. So we so we know gals. Yes. So
1: incontinence is interesting because it's almost like the opposite of pelvic floor dysfunction in the sense that the muscles are not tight enough, right? They're Mm -hmm. almost too relaxed. If we're talking about stress urinary incontinence, which is often what happens after childbirth, because especially vaginal childbirth. So you have a, a child and those muscles, they they change in terms of like their their strength and, and their ability to kind of hold up both the urethra and the bladder. So what happens when those muscles, and I'm kind of trying to make this sound less scientific and just more so people can understand it's what perfect. I'm saying. Because if we go into that, it could be a little more complicated. But anyway, sorry. Um, so the muscle alter... The direction or the angle of the urethra, and when it when it alters oh. the angle of the urethra, what happens? You can have what's called stress urinary incontinence or leakage when you cough, sneeze, run. You know what I mean? And God that's, forbid that's, that's you jump.
0: Most, it's I mean, God
1: forbid you jump. God forbid you get a good laugh in there. Right? You know, <laughs> you're like, oh God. And so this is where kegels became very popular right Right, because that this is where everyone's like kegel 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 and then i'll bring it back to our old point but then what happens is that people over kegel and then they get pelvic floor dysfunction so now their incontinence is better but now they have pain with sex so it's all a fine balance so we cannot win what'd you say we cannot win
0: we cannot win (laughs)
1: we can win if we understand that all of this is there and we just have to work with it together as a whole.
0: So how do you not over Kegel?
1: So number one, understanding how to Kegel to me is the funniest thing because people will just read like a website or a blog and they're like, oh, you just hold, your pee in, like you're just supposed to hold and contract. I actually send all of my patients to pelvic floor PT to learn how to Kegel mm-hmm. because to do so effectively, they'll often use what's called a biofeedback machine or a machine to kind of show you how to contract up the right muscles in order to prevent leakage. Um, and I, and that's something that I just think is, is, again, something very nuanced, but is the right way to do it. Like, would you go to a plumber to fix your electricity? No. A doctor doesn't know exactly how to, teach you how to kegel we can give you like a little pamphlet and you can try it yourself but are you really going to understand it right not until someone sits down with you and teaches it so pelvic floor PT in my eyes is huge
0: oh I loved I went after both of my children really honestly because my joint pain was so bad with my my second child my gosh I almost could not walk thank you God for oh, Emily Dar here, who's a PM&R physician, gave me an injection under ultrasound, and then I could walk yes. again. But um, so I, I did pelvic floor PT both times after. And I mean, it it was life changing. I mean, I went for my hip, but obviously benefited hugely um, otherwise. And I i just, I love it. I'm such a huge fan of pelvic floor PT.
1: For sure. And that—that that is huge right there, because a lot of people don't understand how that is all Integrated and I too do the same type of injections and it's really important to understand how all of this is kind of like you would never think of that but you think of it because you've been through it and mm-hmm. I'm sure a million other people have but they haven't sought the care that you have so right. I think that's key right there yeah um but yeah absolutely pelvic floor PT is so important I think that in terms of our postpartum care it should be routine and it's not but it should be because. After you have a child, so, even whether you had a C-section or a vaginal birth, so much has changed down there. It's like you have to have someone kind of reintroduce you to the area so that you get comfortable. And I don't think that's crazy. I think that should be standard.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there are plenty of pelvic floor PTs around. I mean, when I started DabbleCo, I had several reach out to me just in Charleston. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, we're in, Charleston is not that big of a... a a city. Um, so, I mean, I think they exist all over the country and are probably highly underutilized.
1: I'd actually love to get those names from you. I have a few patients from South Carolina and I know, and I know everyone in New York and I'm always like, okay, I got to try and find someone somewhere else. But oh, yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk about that
0: I, I've got a bunch, so yeah, I'll send it to you for sure um, man, this has been really, this has been awesome and super, super interesting. What else, um, what other hot tips would you like to give the ladies or the men who maybe, maybe, I think I have like four or five male listeners. (laughs) It's like my husband Uh, and two friends.
1: (laughs) Um, one important point I want to tell the ladies, which is something that a lot of people I think don't know or talk about is that Having sex is, in se- sexual pain, and even if you're not having pain with sex, something that is good to maintain a healthy and happy vagina is using certain types of lubricants during sex. And you don't yes. have to be post-menopausal to use lubricants. I tell all my patients to use lubricants and there's multiple reasons why, but one being that there's something known as the vaginal microbiome and that is like there's certain bacteria within the vagina that keep it healthy. And the name of those bacteria is called lactobacillus yep. and and when you're having sex, sex in and of itself alters the pH of the vagina. So if we can use healthy products in the area to maintain that vaginal pH, it can make sex more fun, more interesting. And it can also prevent that feeling after sex where a lot of women will tell me, I feel like I have a UTI after sex and I don't, yeah. but I just feel this feeling. Well, a lot of that has to do with the vagina. Yeah. Um, When you're choosing a lubricant, you know, you definitely don't want lubricants with power bins, sulfates, any of that stuff, because that can irritate the vagina, but there's different types of lubes, water-based, silicone-based, and I talk about this all the time, like on my website and with certain um, media outlets, but I, I truly believe it, and that's why I like try to bring this message across when I can, because you should be using a lubricant. I love like things like good, clean love, slippery stuff, Uber lube. There's so many great loops out there, but try them. I think it's just going to change people's life and kind of change how they view sex because it becomes more comfortable in many different ways.
0: I bet younger women don't realize. I mean, I, I think, I think as we get older, a lot of us realize that, you know, there's, we have less estrogen and things are going to change and atrophy and, so it probably becomes more normal but I think I think so many women don't realize that it is totally normal and now you're saying recommended to be using a lubricant if you're having sex
1: for sure. And you think about even in young patients, premenopausal patients who have been on long-term birth control pills, right. how do birth control pills work? They suppress your estrogen and progesterone to prevent ovulation. Well, that can have local effects within the vaginal tissue. Yeah. So, you know, you don't, people don't think about that, but there, and, and you don't have to be on birth control pills to have this, but there's a multitude of reasons to use lubricants that we can go through in terms of the science. But I, if if asked to be on which side, I would say use a lubricant and a good lubricant, not like, you know, something that you just get from the drugstore because that can be irritating.
0: Really? So like a, like KY or what? Like I'm trying KY, what yeah. So Things, don't use that? So
1: you have to always read it and it depends. Like now KY is coming out with new kind of products, right? But if you see a lubricant that has parabens, sulfates, all the stuff that you wouldn't put in your shampoo or in your body wash, you don't want to be putting in a lubricant or in your vagina. I didn't even know they had that
0: in there. I mean, who reads the ingredients on your lube? Right. Right. But old school lubricants do. And so, so especially
1: because my patients are so sensitive when they have right. things like vulvodynia or pelvic floor, they'll say to me, you know, I used KY jelly. And, and not that all KY is bad, but just, you know, we'll just say a normal brand of lube. And I got very irritated well, that could, there could be multiple reasons for that. Number one, you don't know. It's like anything. You don't know what's compounded in it. And then number two, you don't. there's oftentimes lubes now that actually work with the vaginal microbiome. So, you know, for example, Good Clean Love is a lubricant that has NIH data behind it, which I think is so cool. Oh, wow. But it's very interesting because they... They actually look at the vaginal microbiome. Their products actually have a vaginal probiotic containing lactobacillus in it. And so it's very soothing for patients who have had these issues before because there's some small, there's a small study that actually looked at this and showed a decreased amount of recurrent UTIs after sex or recurrent BV and recurrent yeast
0: that's huge. You know what I mean? Oh, and that's and like, that, no one is talking about this. I mean, I have and, n- never heard anybody talking about lubricant being good or but like, you know, irritating versus not. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about that.
1: Yeah. And there's way more data on it now. There's actual scientific data on it. So mm-hmm. it's like, so it's such a small lifestyle modification that people often ignore that I think can have such amazing downstream effects. So, yeah. that would be my one kind of takeaway tip for of the audience is like start with a nice lubricant. And then people always ask me, Can I use coconut oil? Can I stay natural? You know, because that's always right. kind of something that people want to know about. And I say, You can use coconut oil. There's there's some data on coconut oil having anti-inflammatory effects
0: to it. Yeah, there's but- some, there's a company that makes a coconut oil based lube, and I always wonder if that's because people want to want to know if they can use oil. So, what would you you would say a coconut oil is okay?
1: It's okay. It's, uh, there's some, if for people who believe that they're very, very sensitive, but you cannot use it with condoms. So it will degrade the oh. condom. So, Ooh, so you can't use like oil-based
0: lubes with condoms. So is that why they um, say base, use a water-based, really a because water-based, of the condom? Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. You can use a silicone base too, but, but an oil-based will degrade the condom. Hmm. Okay. Silicone-based lubes are way more you know, I, I'll use the word fun. They last longer. They're like more kind of, they feel like silkier. Um, but, uh, so, so people love that. So, so that's a different type of lube to try too. That's like an Uber lube. That, that's, that's one company that makes a silicone based lube. That's pretty, um, hypoallergenic.
0: I'm going to plug um, my friend's company too right now because, so yeah. I don't know if you've heard of natalist, but a friend Bass. of mine started yeah,
1: they it. Just sent me- Samples. Oh, good. I have been giving them out now. Like they're a great company. Yeah. Okay, now, good. I mean,
0: this, that yeah, makes friend, me really happy. So your friend. Yeah, so my friend Hallie Teco um, Martello in, in Charleston, we met a few years ago and she struggled with infertility, um, for years. Their rubes
1: are are for infertility, which I think is really great.
0: Yeah. There's, they're the sperm friendly lube. So that was going to be my question is for people that, um, and I know they made them paraben free and sulfate free, um, specifically. So I was going to say, um, uh, use natalist lube. Actually, that's
1: not even a plug. That, that was, I have no affiliation with the company. <laughs> I don't either. I, I mean, she's just my great. friend. Yes.
0: <laughs> if you want to pay me, I'm happy to receive your payments. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're happy to be sponsors here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Hashtag sponsored, yes. not sponsored.
1: But but you see, you see, even that is an indication that there's a market for it because of the fact that lubricants are so nuanced and they make such a right. difference. Like, it's, right. and you don't even think about that, but it does.
0: Right. Yeah. Gosh. And that's so interesting that there are, I mean, where do you even get the, the better lubes? Do you have to order them online or cause I, I mean,
1: I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so you always talked about, you were asking me like, how long does an appointment do you take? I always go over lubricants at the end of my appointment with my patients, but good companies like, like your friends will send us samples so that we can kind of look and try them out on our own and see what we think works well. And there's no strings attached, but you know, they do work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so <laughs> glad you have, um, are going to have, be testing the lube. And it's also really cute. And it comes in a little individual packaging, which I like. That's great for travel. <laughs> All kinds of things. So. And then, and then
1: you know, everyone always, in this day and age, we're living through a pandemic and we talk about like mental health and the mind body connection. And I'm a huge believer in the fact that 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 is absolutely true. Right. Stress can stress can aggravate your pelvic floor. Stress can actually cause increased amount of vaginal infections. It can cause frequency and urgency and so many different things. So, you know, In terms of maintaining a healthy pelvic floor, aside from using lubricants and using unscented washes and all of that jazz, um, things like yoga, like really using things like yoga and mindful meditation to help
0: keep those muscles relaxed and healthy is really important. Yeah, I read I was going to write about painful sex before I found you. And now now I don't have to. Um so I was reading about painful sex and 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 reading that a big cause of it was just like anxiety, depression, real, it like totally tied back into your mental health and that manifesting in a literally physical painful way. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so so you think about it like so I always tell my patients number one it's not in your head because by the time they get to my office they've seen five different doctors and everyone's telling them there's nothing wrong because they can't figure it out and so they're like oh my god I'm making this up no you're not making it up think about what happens when you're stressed out have you ever seen people clench their jaw when they're stressed out Mm -hmm. and it causes an increase in migraines and headaches I mean I do it myself yeah um but it's the exact same thing happening we clench your pelvic floor and it can cause symptoms of frequency, urgency, pain with bladder filling, difficulty emptying, constipation. So it's the same mechanism going on. It's just going on in the pelvic floor that in this area that no one ever talks about. Right. So understanding. So there's this guy, his name is David Wise and he wrote this book called a headache in the pelvis because this is really a headache in the pelvis. And there are, is tons of data looking at specifically mindful meditation and pelvic floor dysfunction, and and the data shows how helpful it is. And things like yoga, you know, I'm a huge, I love yoga, but you know, you don't want to be doing like Ashtanga yoga where you're contracting your core and and that's going to make things worse, right? But doing a lot of like hatha and a lot of restorative yoga is really really helpful because it helps to lengthen those pelvic floor muscles. Mm. In times of stress, yoga has also been shown to decrease cortisol. Levels, So that plays a role in the clenching behaviors. So there's so many different angles with which this works. And I think that if as a society, we start viewing this more as preventative care rather than secondary ancillary issues, much less people, women, men will have to suffer in general. So I think that that's another avenue which everyone should always explore.
0: Yeah, man. Well, this has been unbelievably fascinating. Um, I hope so many people will be able to listen because I know that it will be super, super helpful for so many women. Um, And man, thank you so much for coming on. This was really, really great. Yeah. Thanks
1: for, you're such a
0: great conversationalist. So easy to talk to you. So I appreciate that. Oh man. Okay. So where can people find you too, if they aren't already following you?
1: So, uh, so you can find me on Instagram at pelvic pain doc. You can find me on my website, www.pelvicpaindoc.com. And you can find me on Facebook. I'm Twitter. I'm kind of trying to be everywhere. So All
0: the things. <laughs> look for me and you'll find me, but they do have to come to New York to see you unless we can change telemedicine laws. Right? So right <laughs> now
1: during the pandemic, actually laws have kind of been a little bit more lax, more lax. Oh, good. So, um, so we've been doing telehealth, but yes, but generally patients, and I have patients that come to me from South Carolina, actually. So they come in for the first visit and we get all the medications, everything set up. And then generally we can get you better. And so, you know, they come back after six or eight months. Again, you don't have to see me forever. The point is to get you better and then get you back to right. like your general right. GYN or whoever you need. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think a small price to pay to, to have a nice,
0: pleasurable life. Oh your life back. Yeah, absolutely. Man. All right. Well thank you so much, Sonia. We will talk soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, that was so good. I feel like between Dr. B last week and Dr. Bilani this week, I thought, I mean, I'm just blown away at the people who are willing to talk and and give time out of their incredibly busy days. So that was super fun. So as always, if you like this podcast and if you like hearing from medical professionals or the people that are going to give you science and data to, to back up everything and talk about hard things, um, rate review and subscribe because that's how people find this podcast. So um, that is the biggest thing you can do to support um, what we're doing. So you can find me on Instagram at Dabble Co. Our website is dabble-co.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all the things. I can't figure out TikTok, so it's just it's too much. Um, yeah, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks, guys.